Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any investment. With that, hello and welcome to a bonus episode of the Rooms of Capital podcast. This is a weekly 15-minute long podcast, and the clock starts now. I'm Andrew Walker, a portfolio manager at Rangely Capital, and with me as always is my co-host and the founder of Rangely Capital, Chris DeMuth. It is Friday, November 20th, and we're going to kick things off with our article of the week. It's called Overstock.com Has 10 Million in Gold and Silver Hidden Somewhere in Utah. It's an article from mid-November in BuzzFeed. Uh, so, Chris, let's kick things off and ask, this is the third podcast in a row we filmed. Are you getting sick of me? No, this is fun. Okay, great. Just making sure. So, Overstock has 10 million of gold and silver hidden somewhere in Utah. What do you think about this? I just want to know where specifically. That does not surprise me. So, there are kind of two views on this. I think there's the view of A, a company in general taking this $10 million. is actually a decent size bet for a company of Overstock size. There's a view of someone taking a huge insurance policy out, and then there's a view as... As a shareholder, how do you feel about your company taking a huge insurance policy out? So do you want to... Well, I should say, and we are not uh, shareholders, we're not long or short uh, overstock, um, but I thought that this was an interesting uh, thing that they were doing. Um, I think that uh, insurance, and especially talking about catastrophic tail risk insurance, is a very interesting topic. Um, I think it's good to own insurance. I own a lot of insurance uh, myself and to think about these things. Um, uh, at the corporate level, it's, it's, it's unusual to do something like this. Yeah. Uh, and, and gold and silver are interesting choices for how to execute it. Yeah, so I agree with you. I think it's really interesting to hear a CEO who's talking about such, uh, such tail risks and going in such different different ways. I love to see CEOs who are thinking deeply about uh, really deep risks, doing things differently than all the competitors. But I don't know if gold and silver is the right thing. Like if there's this huge if there's this huge event where he mentions banks shutting down, paying workers in gold and silver. I don't think your workers are going to want to be paid in gold and silver. I think they're going to want to be paid. They do have canned foods, but they're going to be want to be paid in canned foods or access to electricity somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, gold, especially the gold and silver, have uh, merits as currency. Uh, it's a fairly known, uh, fairly finite uh, supply on the Earth's crust. Uh, it is, uh, both have survived for a very long time. Uh, they're not very conveniently divisible. I mean, even if you think about a gold bar, how valuable it is. Uh, uh, you know, I think in a in a survival situation, maybe we'll be clubbing each other over the head with these gold <laughs> bars. But paying somebody for a loaf of bread yeah. is awkward. You know, you can have you know silver, especially. Uh, uh, but if you look uh, at silver in particular. Uh, the most convenient denomination of silver is junk silver. There's the actually U.S. Uh, currency yeah. uh, with silver content. I would say for uh, kind of moderate crises, uh, you know, uh, a, a six-month to 18-month period, that the U.S. dollar actually probably does okay. Even just physical currency does okay yeah. uh, as something that is known, uh, that is convenient and doesn't require... Uh, negotiating the values. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you see that in uh, crises. You see that in the 2008 depression. The dollar actually gets stronger mm-hmm. as there's a flight to safety. Uh, let's say there is a tail risk scenario. Mm-hmm. Uh, banks shut down. Economy collapses. 
What do you think would become the standard unit for barter? It's an interesting question. Because, um, and, and, I, and I would say I, I would do nothing to disparage or caricature what uh, Patrick Byrne uh, at uh, Overstock is no, thinking about. No, I think about. we both love what he's thinking about. Be, because yeah. uh, an easy way to caricature is to say, you expect this to happen, which is, which is absurd because, of course... I have uh, fire insurance in my house. I do not expect my house to burn down. I have, well, I don't know if I have life insurance here, but I mean, I don't expect to die. So why would I ever, why do I need this life insurance? I'm going to live to a thousand. I, I, I trade life insurance policies on you on a daily basis. It fluctuates uh, <laughs> depending on uh, 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 various uh, variables. Is that why we stopped getting salads <laughs> and we're even getting fried chicken recently? But yes, no, you have a very large life insurance policy. Uh, and, uh, uh, so I think that um, gold and silver are suspect uh, as in the, sh- in the medium term as, as a currency because of the denomination problem. Uh, something that has uh, a, a, a practical use, uh, a known value, and a good shelf life. I've always thought you know, 22 caliber ammunition you know, fits those uh, I fits those those That was exactly well, where I was going. Um, which has some defense purposes, yep. some uh, hunting purposes. Easy to carry. Um, and uh, it's very convenient. They last a long time. Yep. Uh, and the nice thing about a 22 caliber uh, bullet uh, is it's also a very convenient, uh, lightweight denomination. A larger uh, 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 calibers are much more expensive, heavier, and so forth. But that's just a really uh, useful yeah, one. I, I'm so mad you said that because I was thinking that the other thing I think is if you were in a complete downside uh, I mean we could switch to like a prison type economy Mm -hmm. and I wouldn't be surprised if something like cigarettes though I guess they're I guess they need to be manufactured but if if we're in a complete downside people don't care about lifespan I bet a lot of people would take up smoking for the hell of it you know something about cigarettes that I was going to mention here that I think is a great strategy for most people most of the time is when you reflect on tail risk and when you reflect on these extreme events and the possibility they could happen. And, and serious people, including Warren Buffett, when they think about insurance, kind of look at, you know, kind of societal collapse, uh, is to look at the things that you can use in your life in the 99% of the time that these things aren't happening yep. that are helpful, uh, useful, everyday things. And in specific to cigarettes, in the Soviet Union, uh, which I rarely use as an example for anything, all of their cigarette factories were dual use. They were all able to convert within 24 hours from civilian to military purposes. They had calibers of cigarettes that were military grade. They could run bullets on the same factory floor as cigarettes. That is the, that's great. So I am positive that this, maybe not positive, but this is probably going to be the most depressing podcast of all time. We've talked about life getting so depressing that cigarettes become the currency. <laughs> but let's dive into what you said. So. In this case, Patrick, uh, I think we love the idea of protecting against tail risk, but maybe going to gold is not it. But you mentioned, why not do something that protects against tail risk and benefits the kind of other 99% of the time? The thing that comes to mind for me is, you know, living healthy. So if you're in great shape in a tail risk scenario, you can run further and faster than everyone. It really benefits you there. But in everyday life, it really benefits you because you'll probably feel better. You look better. People want to be around you more. What are some other things that kind of uh, help in both tail risks and in normal scenarios? You know, it's a good, good question. I think that 
the goal is to live a life that overall is moderate, pragmatic, and sensible. Uh, and, and, and partly that it doesn't goof up the normal life uh, thinking about and worrying about these extremes. Um, the two other categories that I think uh, you really have a lot of redundancy uh, in a healthy way between uh, uh, emergency preparedness and non-emergency living one's life uh, is uh, the environmental impact and the health impact of having different ways to provide for energy and food. Yep. Um, I think that uh, if nothing ever goes wrong, and I somehow knew that nothing was ever going to go wrong, uh, it's fun and healthy and cheap to have a garden so you can provide enough food for your family, uh, that you're outside and you can connect children to uh, uh, foods in their natural state. Um, and it also can be good uh, for a system to have highly distributed energy. You know, if you look at how we designed the internet system, it's yep. a distributed system with a lot of uh, power at the nodes. How we designed our uh, electric infrastructure is very centralized. It is tightly coupled. It works fine as long as it all works, but if anything stops working, the whole thing stops working. And so I think that you can have in uh, electric uh, a distribution if you can have distributed uh, systems where there is some local redundancy, uh, a lot of that can be good for the environment. In New England, uh, we have some generation that is so dirty. Uh, we have wood and coal and all of these preposterous, uh, antiquated uh, central systems. Uh, in fact, it is so dirty in New England that a Mercedes G-Wagon is better for the environment than a Tesla because Teslas use electricity. They use electricity uh, from the grid. And, yeah. uh, so I would say that in the examples of uh, both uh, local electricity and local food production, it makes you uh, hardened in a disaster, but it makes your life better anyway. Yep. It's good for the environment, good for health. Yep. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that. I think there's a lot of statistics that are coming out that show that we're just on the verge of a lot of those dirty plants kind of going away and from a combination of factors, but it's exactly what you're saying. As we get more rooftop distribution, solar generation, it's great for the economy and it's kind of great for a downside scenario. So let's leave it there. I think our question of the day is going to cover closely to that. But before we get to that, a quick request. If you like our podcast, please subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud. If you already subscribed, please recommend it to a friend who you think would like it. If you don't think it's worth recommending, please feel free to reach out to Chris or I. We'd love to hear some feedback, how to improve. Uh, I think we've got some new tech equipment, so the audio should be getting better. We know that's a constant complaint. Anyway, question of the day, Chris. Uh, this is our Thanksgiving-themed question of the day. So Thanksgiving has two things I associate it with. Being thankful for something and being too gluttonous with the turkey. So let's start thankful. What, As an investor, what in the financial markets are you most thankful for? I'm most thankful for the fact that I love to read and I love to read filings and footnotes and just that uh, the research process is fun enough that we can be super selective in what we actually trade, what we actually own, because there's a lot of good stuff to read and we can uh, sit back and toss out most of it. So I, I love your answer. I am surprised mine was going to be constrained counterparties and I thought you and I were going to be on the same page so what this is is someone who cannot buy something or sell some or has to sell something at any price for a reason that uh, has nothing to do with its economics so 
And Go ahead. That's actually what I was thinking, but I didn't think that that was seasonally. I didn't think that that was in the spirit of it. If, that, you, had, if you had said that, I was actually going to say I am thankful as an investor that I can read whatever I want at any time, and it, it applies to my job as long as I'm learning. So I, I sometimes I worry how much we think the same. So uh, let's go to gluttonous. Where in markets do you think investors are too gluttonous, and where do you think they are not gluttonous enough? I think that people are gluttonous for the appearance of stability uh, and the appearance of yield and being able to, I think of them as uh, risk proxies and thinking proxies. If I tell you, here's what I would like, I'd like to come to the market, I'd like to wake up and I'm not going to do any work and I'm not going to think seriously about risk, but I want to find some way to approximate as if I have. Uh, So looking at something that kind of has been... uh, uh, you know, when uh, when credit instruments are very expensive, they can be very stable for a number of years. Uh, and I think that people wanting both uh, 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 to avoid a risk and to do things that are smart without actually doing uh, work. So linearly extrapolating very, very short term data points to approximate uh, uh, risk avoidance with stability. Yeah. So on a related line, I think people can be too gluttonous for outperforming the market without any work. So I would like to beat the market but I, while taking the same or less risk, but I want to do no work. Mm-hmm. And it, what that often ends in people is investing in pump and dumps, investing in Ponzi schemes. It, it does not end well. Uh, and along the lines with your stability comment, I think we're looking, I think you frequently find people who say, oh, that has a high dividend, uh, and they mistake high dividends or something else that gives you kind of comfort of what the stability of the return will be with safety. And as you said, that ends in tears. So do you want to, or should we go to not blood myself? Uh, I, I think that's great. All right. So. Let's go to where do you think investors are not gluttonous enough, and I will start with this one. And my personal one is I think investors are not gluttonous enough when they have a great idea that is in their wheelhouse, they understand and know it better than anyone else. I don't think they are greedy enough when they have that. And I I am certainly an example. I think you will understand what stock I'm talking. Within the past couple of weeks, we had a stock in a very interesting situation. I think we knew it better than just about anyone else. It was right in our wheelhouse. we made it a, a very large position, but in hindsight, uh, we probably didn't swing quite hard enough at this one, given the degree of information asymmetry we had. When you've got something that's going to be a home run, you really need to bet big on it. Buffett says, when it's raining gold, uh, grab a bucket, not a thimble. Yeah, but he's also got the rule, like the 20 punch card rule, where pretend you'll only make 20 investments in your life, concentrate on them, and you'll do much better. Uh, you know, I, I think we can certainly improve our results by doing that. Obviously, we have to weigh opportunity cost, diversification, everything, but it, it's a great rule. I would just say you start by playing great defense, not because uh, you want to stay in a defensive yes. crouch, but uh, if you look at uh, a great uh, predator, yeah. uh, they're, they're not uh, moving aggressively. They're moving very meekly, indirectly, protecting themselves, not being seen and it mostly is waiting. Being a great hunter is mostly waiting quietly. Uh, it's a combination of early mornings, yep. being very, very quiet and very, very still. And that's what we're doing it for at 5 and 6 in the morning. Uh, and it's not because uh, uh, that's how we want to end our day. We want to go kill something. Yep. But, uh, but that's how we start. And, uh, and then having an ability to be very dynamic in the right chance. As always, a great analogy. Yeah, it, it's kind of like 
hunters, they're not sprinting every time. You shouldn't be aggressive on every investment, but when you kind of see a, a wounded deer sitting in front of you, sprint. Uh, uh, so this has taken some interesting turns and analogies. Uh, we hope you have a great Thanksgiving. Thanks again for joining us. That's all the time we have this week. Next week will be our uh, best ideas for 2016 podcast. Very excited about that. Hope you join us. Uh, if, again, if you like the podcast, please subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud. Uh, if you like our ideas but you could do without our voices, please follow Chris and I on Seeking Alpha. Chris writes the M&A Daily column. I write the weekly Investing with an Edge column. Thanks again for listening, and we will talk to you next week.